Once upon a time, Earth was captured by a techno-capital singularity. As Renaissance rationalization and oceanic navigation lock into commoditization takeoff, logistically accelerating techno-economic interactivity crumbles social order into auto-sophisticating machine runaway. As markets learn to manufacture intelligence, politics modernizes, upgrades paranoia, and tries to get a grip. The body count climbs through a series of globe wars. Emergent planetary commercium trashes the Holy Roman Empire. The Napoleonic continental system, the Second and Third Reich, and the Soviet International, cranking up world disorder through compressing phases. Deregulation and the state arms race each other into cyberspace. By the time soft engineering slithers out of its box and into yours, human security is lurching into crisis. Cloning, lateral genodata transfer, transversal replication, and cyberotics flood in amongst a relapse onto bacterial sex. Neo-China arrives from the future. Hypersynthetic drugs click into digital voodoo. Retro disease. Nanospasm. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memes as Politics. I'm your host, Joshua Citarella. This is episode 14.5. 14.5, it's a half episode. I'm cooking up a lot of uh, large, very exciting, um, very time-intensive projects this summer. So I am prioritizing my writing and, um, and my studio time producing those. So we've got a little bit more of a casual approach for this one. Uh, that seemed to go over well the last time. I spend like... I spend hours upon hours writing like six pages of notes for these <laughs> hour-long lectures, and then people are like, yeah, yeah, post that one of you where you're drunk making jokes the whole time, not really talking about anything. So if that seems to work, maybe that's a new direction we can follow. Um, I don't want to do that. It's I, I like this as a monthly column, but um, uh, the monthly column, that time is prioritized for other stuff that will be coming up later this month and throughout the rest of the summer. Very exciting projects. Uh, but until then... We're going to, uh, we have a more casual approach for this episode. So the first thing we're going to do is I will talk uh, in the following recording a few thoughts about the state of online radical politics right now, some of the things I'm observing on Instagram, some of the things I'm seeing on YouTube, uh, and then we'll talk about what that means for the work that we do here in terms of cultural research and uh, trend forecasting and, and all of these things. Following that, we are going to watch a recent YouTube video by Lauren Southern titled A Conservative Critique of Capitalism. Uh, Lauren Southern, I'm sure most people are familiar, one of the more significant, maybe most significant by some arguments, um, most significant influencers on right-wing social media in the last few years. Following that, you're going to hear my side of the audio from a recent conversation about the role of the culture war in late neoliberal politics. Unplanned, but these two things are actually quite related. So maybe there are some insights to be gleaned between the, the juxtaposition of those two, uh, those two topics. 
Uh, and then we also have to catch up on Lauren Southern, the infamous Lauren Southern. Okay, so let's keep track of our, our links here. Why is my connection going in and out tonight? Okay, okay, we're back. Yeah, she's a little bit more brunette now. I mean, she's literally perfect, so it, it doesn't matter. You know, she's just, she's beautiful from the inside out. Her hair could be green and purple. It wouldn't matter. I just see the beauty in her soul. Lauren Southern, uh, new video, a conservative, excuse me, a conservative critique of capitalism. This was released on May 1st, so it's actually been out for a little while. It's been on the list, but we never got to it because we were doing the ideology iceberg. Um, a few thoughts on what is happening now in the YouTube. Yeah, she's fucking hot. She's a fucking babe. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I'm agreeing with Holly in the chat. I would never say that myself. Um, so we're, we're at somewhat of a standstill at the moment, I think, where um, I'm detecting similar types of patterns and content production that I saw a few years back. Um, a lot of the work and the research that um, I've been very interested in in the last few years has been about finding pathways between seemingly very disparate belief systems, seemingly uh, opposed, uh, um, contradictory, uh, opposite belief systems, and finding what, what are the connective pathways between those things in a period of hyperpolarization, can you move people from one belief system to another? And I think that's very true. Um, and the work that I've been doing in the last few years is literally interviewing the people who have uh, shifted in their belief systems for uh, some to very dramatic results. So that said, what I'm observing now, um, let's talk about Instagram first. And Instagram specifically, I'm seeing people who come to politics with presuppositions that remain more so intact than they would previously. Um, let me, I'm gonna change my, my view here because we're gonna start the video in uh, two or three minutes. Let me get through this, this bit first. Um, I'm seeing people who remain for remain in their current belief systems for longer, longer than um, would have been in 2016. And I think what's happening is that we are in somewhat of a Biden depoliticization holding pattern for um, absent, I mean, a major rupture or uh, unpredictable event. Um, I don't think people are going to make the radical shifts that we saw in the the previous few years for the time being, right? We're going to need a catalyst. We're going to need an agent of change to come in and transform some things. Um, and, and the indications are on Instagram specifically because I'm, I'm watching people just maintain brand integrity, for lack of a better term, for a longer period of time. Um, their aesthetics and memes are more so stable. I'm not watching the same drift from ANCAP to authoritarianism type of stuff that was so frequent a few years back. Um, yeah, and, and comparing that to the YouTube space, what we're seeing is uh, 
a recycling of content uh, where people are, are replaying the hits, essentially. So specifically in the case of Lauren Southern and Destiny, which was the debate stream that was mentioned by Faraday Speaks as the thing that moved him from one one pipeline of uh, algorithmic recommendations, uh, a, a certain type of data profile into another, right? It was the first instance of counter-messaging. It was successful in challenging his ideas and, and spurring some political growth. Um, they recently did another debate in like May or, or whatever. Um, I think previous to this video, so this is May 1st, it might have been before that. Um, to a certain degree, you know, these content producers have to periodically recycle their, their hits because they're, uh, they have to maintain competitive in the newsfeed and um, drive views and, and, and that kind of stuff. But it really felt like these content producers are a, just a little bit less relevant because uh, Trump is not in the news cycle anymore. And we're, we're just, we're in this holding period pattern. So they're, they're repeating their, their hits in order to like drive some more traffic that may be, if you've seen some of these stats, drifting away and into other types of content that, that people are just, depoliticizing is really the wrong word. It's just that they're, they're clicking into other content on social media more or less. So this sends, I think, a few indications to me. Um, one, that uh, people like Lauren Southern, the, the, the top tier competitors, are going to start to do some creative experimentation to uh, experiment with new types of branding. So this is, I think, what is going to be tried out in this video, a conservative critique of capitalism, uh, where you get to play with some uh, reactionary but contrarian politics, um, but we'll see how successful it is. I think I think she is essentially towing the party line now. Um, I don't think she's going to really be uh, a generative agent of change in the in the near future. Uh, I think that she's she's become a little bit too big to fail, and I see her platforming just very normie conservative type of stuff in the in the meantime. Um, okay, so so what does that mean for the work that we do? Um, it means a lot of the survey type of stuff is, uh, I feel like we have a good handle on it. I haven't come across, I mean, we literally did the entire ideology iceberg. Like, there's nothing that is brewing online that we are not in some way aware of, right? So when the, the next, like, boogaloo type of thing happens, when there's some weird fringe internet thing that is then very present in the newsfeed everywhere else, um, we'll be well positioned to talk about it and set the narrative and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't, I don't feel like we need to spend our time and resources, literally time on the stream, for uh, doing more survey projects so much. Uh, we certainly will, just because it's interesting and fun and whatever else. Um, <laughs> Courageous Emu, have you covered NFTs yet? That's the thing. Um, we are not subject to whatever is trending in the newsfeed. We are so unbelievably far upstream of all of that shit. Um, I just refuse to respond to it. Uh, that's not what we do here. So um, watch Brad's thing on NFTs. It's great. Uh, okay, so what we're going to do, rather than try and like, oh, everybody's got to do the kink at pride podcast and, and whatever, um, 
We did our very far upstream surveys of all of the competing political factions. We're going to list those into some sort of a deep state mapping project that will be a collaborative thing for the, um, for the Discord community. But what I wanna do now is move into the realm of metapolitics and start producing some of these, um, start laying the tracks that people will move into. That um, if you look at these fringe, young, Gen Z, like Instagram, social media type of spaces, uh, the things that allowed them to discover and engage with political ideas are really, really humble in the beginning, right? So when you sit through that, I mean, for me, it's like an hour interview, maybe it's an hour and a half, but the edited version that people get to hear is like 30 minutes. The things that you uncover in that process, when you really get into the core of like, how did you discover these ideas? It comes down to something like, well, I saw a funny meme of this guy uh, and it was actually Murray Rothbard, I later found out. And then I researched his work and I typed his name into YouTube and I watched these lectures and et cetera, et cetera. So for the time being, if the political factions are temporarily stable where they are and, and we know where all of the different people are, we can start to build some tracks out of it so that when the next catalytic event happens, we can be one of the things that people discover and move towards, right? That's, that's the idea. And the ideas that we're trying to push, the ideas that I think are interesting that are underrepresented or unrepresented in the discourse is the stuff that we're doing in the, in the reading list. So easing into this, uh, as we start this summer program of the reading list and everything else, I'll play the video in a second, I promise. Um, we will that that's going to be the project for for this summer experiment i think um now okay having said that if some completely unpredictable wildly exciting thing happens we're of course going to have to steer into it and watch how the factions develop and who emerges and like what is the toss-up all that stuff but um if everything is in the holding pattern the content producers are aware of that people are watching the traffic they're having to replay the hits because they don't have anything that's like really new and popping off um we should take that sign to, to try and get further upstream and um, do a little bit of problem solving in anticipation of the next catalytic event. That's my, that's my whole shtick. Yeah, we're gonna do some metapolitics, which means literally making memes, making podcasts, we'll be having guest speakers, we'll be um, reading the source material, and uh, yeah. Okay, let's get back to this video with this absolute 10 of 10 First of all, I would like to give a warm welcome to all of the people who are here for the first time. Oh, she does not look so good, actually. To leave a dislike and an angry response calling me a communist before even watching it. Sorry, I'm still fucking with volume. All right, now that that's out of the way, comrades, working men and working women, collective farmers, brothers and sisters, gorillas, we must fight for the socialist revolution. Fight to the end until the complete victory of the proletariat and the overthrow of the international bourgeoisie. Long live the worldwide socialist. Seriously, people, you do not have to join the Red Army yeah, to recognize that capitalism has some problems. You can even love it and realize this. But the truth is, one could create the greatest system in the universe, but as soon as you insert humans, said system will have issues. Check out the Garden of Eden. We suck.
especially when we were given the freedom to suck. I'm not sure when exactly this Republican worship of capitalism began, but it is a problem and it needs to stop. Cap this is also, um, just in case this is not explicitly clear to everybody, maybe it needs to be said, this is Fuentes setting the discourse that all of the other influencers now need to move into, right? He's doing the best, his message is resonating, he's able to point out what is actually the source of people's grievance, uh, and now they're all having to steer into it, pick up his talking points, produce his content for him, right? So he's not on the platform, but, uh, you know, Lauren Southern, 655K followers. Uh, the view counts on this actually pretty low for whatever reason. That's, that's interesting. We're only at 59K views on this. So maybe she's just got a legacy. She's probably, her reach is suppressed definitely as well. She's on Subscribestar here, uh, not on Patreon for quite a long while. Um, but this is, this is important that they're taking cues from him now. Capitalism is just a system of economics. It is not a god, it's it not a moral system, so it's not going to fail. And in fact, in its current highly toxic form, has arguably been the downfall of both traditionalism and conservatism in many ways. Oh, and wow. coincidentally, is the most powerful weapon currently used by radical socialist activists who seemingly have given up the class war in favor of winning the culture war hand in hand with big corporations. So let's jump right into it and go through the- She's kind of like contoured or something. Something is unusual. She looks different here. I don't really know. I can't place it. Some very contoured makeup or it's, it's very distracting. The three main problems I have here and why. Mute myself while I One. can. The amount of power corporations have is too damn high. I have a lot in common with libertarians. I ran for the libertarian party. I generally want to be left alone and not have the foot of the state constantly on my throat. However, where I tend to part ways with my libertarian friends is I think there are significantly more threats to our freedoms than just the state. The government is no longer the 800 pound gorilla. It's more like an organ grinder's monkey dancing to corporate music. Western governments are largely controlled by corporate lobbying pressure, campaign donations, and now even censorship of politicians we once would have thought were more powerful than said corporations. And the worst- well, She hasn't been a libertarian for a long time. This is just, they're looking to, I mean, this is, I mean, we're so many years away from this already. Like, I, I think in a channel that has her type of a reach, there are still going to be libertarians in the audience or like self-identified libertarians in the audience. But I just, I don't think, um, I think she's relaying the America first talking points to the larger audience on a mainstream platform. So maybe it's couched in, I'm speaking to libertarians, but like there's literally no libertarians left. This is like, this is like 2018 shit. You know what I mean? Part about the corporations having this power is we didn't elect them. And no, we didn't vote for them with our dollar either. I'm sure a lot of us would much rather go to our local shops and hire our neighbors for jobs over some faceless, nameless corporation. But unfortunately, it's becoming near impossible to compete with global monopolies utilizing slave labor to drive down prices while we have to adhere to reasonable local labor laws. Not to mention all the government grants, tax cuts, and favoritism for big business elites. It is simply not possible to compete, which is tragic for hardworking small businesses and medium businesses, which I and I'm sure many of you really support. Now, I know what you're I thinking. Don't. I know what you were all thinking, Lauren. <laughs> not me. This is not real capitalism you were talking about. This is crony capitalism. This is why it's not going to work and out. And you'd be absolutely right. But here's the kicker. You like real the capitalism mom and pop has never been tried. You like squeezing Just like labor? Is that what how you're real about? communism has never been tried. Both of these theories and systems on a large scale are ahistorical constructs. We like have never lived in a world where millions of people have had to share with each other the way a family does. And we've never lived in a world where everyone buys and sells from each other with no restrictions or aggression from anyone else. So if we want to deal with reality, what we have to examine is how capitalism has actually worked in history. And history tells us that this system can absolutely lead to brutal authoritarian and freedom threatening results. I was curious to see this because a few months back, what is it, maybe mid-pandemic, she launched this podcast with this just, I mean, real simpleton of a, I don't know who this guy is, but he was, he was very 
intellectually dull, uh, not funny, um, not really insightful or especially knowledgeable or, or whatever. Um, but he was the, the podcast partner. And they also flubbed the launch, too. They had, like, three different names so people couldn't find them on social media or anything. But I got the distinct feeling that the takes that came out of that podcast were such just normie conservative trash. Like it was, it was just, it was so bad. Um, they were, they're doing all like the gas prices type of shit. You know, they're just doing like, um, you know, revving up the, the right wing talk show, uh, uh, talk radio um, idiot constituency. And it seemed like, uh, I just assumed that she was now on the payroll for one of these guys. And I didn't know who it was, but she, uh, she must have just gotten hired for something and now she's just, you know, the mouthpiece of some unseen patron or, or whatever. Uh, so this is, this is interesting. I mean, that could still be the case, but giving the, you know, anti-corporate power critique from the Republican right is uh, clearly at odds with having big donors, right? Like that's, that's kind of the issue. It's like, well, they actually don't mobilize your followers to, uh, attack the source of your funding. Like that doesn't seem to work. Um, let's check very quickly. What is her, what kind of numbers is she doing on subscribe star? What are we looking at here? 116 subscribers. Really? That's, that's nothing. What are they? Oh, and you can see the tiers. Okay, so let's, well, let's just do some math on it. I should do this. I should, <laughs> I should just have a really big tier. <laughs> uh, why not, actually? Uh, three subscribers at $250 a month. That's really not too bad. Five at 100, seven at 50, 45 at 15, and 66 at five. But with 655,000 subscribers, you would think these numbers would be much, much higher. Maybe Subscribestar just really doesn't have the reach. And it's, um, I mean, I, I would be extremely surprised if she does not have some, some serious donors behind her channel and production and everything at this point. But uh, buy the documentaries. Um, PayPal, I don't think it's visible to see. You can't see their subscribers. I'm surprised that PayPal still processes the transaction. Huh. Yeah, but it's not, you're not funding, you're not funding this kind of content on 20 five hundred dollars a month that's not that's not uh possible at all i mean the production I, I thought about watching some of her documentaries but i think that might just be a little bit we could do like 10 minutes but it's it's gonna be too brutal to sit there for an hour and a half okay let's get back to the video here and so today Corporations have the power to politically manipulate populations, to deny us our speech, and even to control our thoughts and feelings through algorithms. That is terrifying. And despite this, you still have Republicans out here defending it as just a private company. And another peep you may hear from them in defense of our corporate overlords is, well, uh, you know, at least they can't throw you in jail. At least they won't put you against that firing wall or start wars. Yeah, sorry, that just doesn't quite line up with history either. I could do a whole video on private war profiteering. And massive companies and corporations like the Dutch East India Company not only kept and sold slaves, but had private militaries larger than entire countries' militaries, and eventually became so powerful they could invade and become the acting government in areas in which they had business interests. To pretend that if we just abolished the government, wow. none of these corporations <laughs> nice. would ever even think to oppress us, to fill that power vacuum and take away our liberties. Anti-colonial or In fact, there is already legislation being proposed to allow Nevada tech companies to form their own governments and cities. 
So people, if you are skeptical of and you don't like big government, you really should be just as worried about big corporations, because they don't want to uphold systems which made them wealthy, as those very systems may allow for their replacement and failure. And thus, they want to become your government and eliminate competition and question. And I hear that these big corporations now. are getting very close to that. So instead of daddy government on our throats, we'll just have, I don't know, Google Soldiers TM putting us up against firing nice. walls for illegally downloading Gab or Parler to their devices and sharing our Netflix account with more than 10 friends. But let's move on, because this second one is a far more important point, and that is capitalism's destruction of community and culture. Well, I often see men right lamenting the loss of old traditional architecture, community, family, and art, and yet at the same time proposing capitalism as a solution. It's not. Not even a little bit. Capitalism has no incentive to preserve our culture or communities, and in fact, I'd argue, has negatively impacted families. I think where this confusion comes in is some people observe that Marxism works in opposition to capitalism and to deconstruct the nuclear family, and assume, therefore, capitalism must be working to oppose Marxism and to support the family. But capitalism is not Marxism's counter. It came about before Marxism and is therefore indifferent to it. It's simply an alternate system. And while that system can certainly bolster some people's family lives and wealth and material goods, capitalism only moderates for the markets and not for the souls and well-being of its workers. Damn. There is a reason defenders of capitalism talk about how people can't eat in communist societies, because capitalism is really, really good at creating surpluses of goods for physical needs but does it serve i don't know your safety needs not really your financial security can be wiped away this this is maybe interesting yeah just responding to 34 parking lots in the chat this is interesting if you haven't watched two years of nick fuentes you know the takes are rippling outwards but this is it's novel when you hear this kind of content from a right winger but uh it's been going on for for quite a while yeah i mean i like some of the things that i'm hearing here i cannot <laughs> i cannot lie yeah the um the pro-family, big government, strong, centralized state, um, all of these things are appealing to me. Uh, I hate the small business stuff. I think that is for, um, that's for nostalgic losers. Um, a, lot, a lot of interesting takes going on here. Uh, I don't want to talk over it too much. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, what do we have here? There's a meme on the screen. Physiological. Oh, physiological is the bot. I thought it said psychological. I was like, wait, what? Physiological, we got food and bed. Okay, food and shelter. Safety, you need a house and you need money. There's also what looks like a barbell there. So I'm not sure. Do you need to work out? Is that part of it? Love and belonging is the third tier. On the fourth tier is esteem. So career success and uh, what looks like a medal from competing in sports and then self-actualization at the very top. Okay, I'm on board. Any minute by the stock market, does it serve needs relating to love and belonging? No, because having a wife or a husband, and definitely kids, is a drain on your productivity and resources. And anyway, in this culture, apparently it's irrational to limit yourself to just one person. Might as well just use Tinder and count yourself lucky to live in a free society, you prude. Uh, does it serve needs Bro. relating to steam? <laughs> Does anyone feel steamed in a okay. Okay. or a okay. job or treats them like they should be grateful the company has room in the budget for free coffee? I'm telling people that the prude left is trending so fucking hard. It's blowing up all over social media. People cannot get enough of this. You're seeing it on every channel, on every platform. This is like a huge moment for the prude left. It's happening. Does it serve needs relating to self-actualization? I don't know. You try self-actualizing in a gig economy or in a world where you can lose your job the instant you self-actualize in a way that Twitter doesn't like. Also, on a side note, Marxism may have told women that being wives and mothers was shameful, but it was capitalism that broadcast that message so that all of those women would enter the workforce and drive down the wages of their husbands and sons. Seriously, wow. can we really say that it's all just government systems that have ruined our happiness? Or perhaps I gotta take that one again. Some of us Hold on, that was... Life addiction to media. There was a lot that just happened. There. Yeah, because she did a... Okay, we are... We're nine minutes into a 16-minute video, and we're getting a few interesting, interesting takes. Red pill. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought that she was much more red pilled um, 
And then she backed off of some of the stuff. And now she looks like she's moving into it again. Maybe she's found a way to make it uh, palatable. But I think I rewound too far here. So let's just, let's take that, that part again. I think it's right after the meme disappears. 913, I don't remember. Or in a world where you can lose your job the instant you self-actualize in a way that Twitter doesn't like. Also, Okay, self-actualize in a way that Twitter doesn't like. That, I think, is a bit of misdirection because I'm trying to think of an example of how you would self-actualize and then get canceled online. It would be just saying something horribly offensive, right? I can't, I can't think of anything else. And in a, yeah, exactly, 34 parking lots. Yeah, yeah, you just say something like really uh, uh, terrible on Twitter. Um, so let's disregard that one. That's not going to be a valid criticism, but let's go through the rest so, of it. On a side note, Marxism may have told women that being wives and mothers was shameful, but it was capitalism that broadcast that. Marxism told women that being wives and mothers was shameful, but it was capitalism that broadcast the message. Okay. I feel like I need to make a flowchart. <laughs> I was literally going to take notes. <laughs> I guess it's not really that complicated. I'm kind of drunk already. I think I'm just, I've just, I've just been hung over this whole week. Um, okay. Um, so Marxism, um, not my Marxism, uh, by the way. Uh, Marxism told women it was shameful to be wives and mothers, but capitalism broadcast the message. So let's get to the end of this bit and then I'll message so that all of those women would enter the workforce okay this is this is where the this is the switcheroo okay marxism creates um an undesirable message that should be yeah yeah it is <laughs> it's lauren southern reading angles exactly <laughs> yeah um marxism produces a message capitalism can profit off of people uh being receptive to the message will allow support for its publications and uh podcasts and journals and whatever else you have and so the suggestion is that the role of the state should be to censor that material, right? This is, that's, that's the anti-libertarian argument here. And my uh, chat chime in if I'm reading it incorrectly, but that's what I'm taking from it, is that the role of the state is that it should be anti-capitalist enough that it should not allow for uh, free speech, essentially. Is that, I think, I think I'm following it. Let's, um... Let's trace the rest of this too. Then women coming into the workforce. And that broadcast that message so that all of those women would enter the workforce and drive down the wages of their husbands and sons. So and then women entered the workforce and drove down the wages of their husbands and sons. Well, the women didn't drive down the wages, right? You did double the labor supply. I guess you could say that, but it's a little bit disingenuous for the phrasing. Why are you blaming the women? Why aren't you blaming capital? What does a batshit take about it? You double the labor supply, wages are going to be cut in half. That, that, is, that part's consistent. JC, she deaf wants white women raising children. Oh, JC Denton in the, in the chat, sorry. Um, okay, I'm just, I'm interrupting this too much. Let's, let's make it through the video. Being wives and mothers was shameful, but it was capitalism that broadcast that message so that all those women would enter the workforce and drive down the wages of their husbands and sons. Seriously, can we really say that it's all just government systems that have ruined our happiness? Or perhaps could some of us admit our work-life addiction to media, obsession with pursuing the next shiny product, the constant demands that we buy things to look a certain way, feel a certain way, watch this, buy that, play that, drink this, eat that. Could it perhaps be this mass consumerism and work-life imbalance that has also ripped us from our family, community, and loved ones and ourselves in many ways as well? What Hannah Arendt called the Vita Activa, a state where we must always be busy, never present, and always consuming. It's just soul-destroying. 
And even if we move on to other factors leading to cultural decay, such as mass immigration with no assimilation, that too has largely been pushed and supported by corporations looking for cheap labor. As for old architecture, <laughs> the utility of a building being nice relative to its price just doesn't add up. And don't tell me there's not a demand for beautiful buildings when people are flying halfway across the world just to take pictures with them. The problem is that the demand clearly doesn't lead to enough profit. Who do you think well, ultimately we cannot understate how consumerism makes surviving insultingly easy, but we must also acknowledge it I'm just, I'm on a totally different thing hard. now. Because yeah. this, is, I, I feel like we're actually, we're going to miss the point if we try and do the logical breakdown of the things, because we're the, the point is to hit all of these different individual like nuggets of talking points and then just tap enough similar things. No, she's not spitting this off the top. This is definitely pre-written. But the, the logical inconsistency is for some of the things are like she's like close enough to it so it makes sense. Uh, it's very interesting. But I feel like we need to see what side she comes out on because we're just watching little chunks of other YouTube videos and like these little discursive nuggets of, of essentially memes, like uh, meme phrases strung together. Yeah, I, I was tempted to like get back in the weeds and be like, okay, well, how, like what actually did happen in the 1970s? Like what, what did happen when, um, when women joined the workforce in mass and like, you know, what, uh, what stage of historical development and was there maybe a crisis of profitability where you needed, there was actually a part of capital that was, was very willing to deterritorialize traditional structures of society and invite in a bunch of new workers because it was having trouble uh, the workers were having trouble reproducing themselves. And this was a way to temporarily boost the, the family uh, incomes. Yeah, yeah, there, there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of interesting things in there. I think uh, these are all things that um, it's a real shame that there's not another channel that's actually talking about it. And Lauren Southern is the person who has to say it. I mean, I've had, I've, he I've heard this from people who are very much involved in left-wing politics. Yeah, maybe there should just be more publishing on these on these topics because a lot of these takes are not entirely wrong. Now, the last one here, number three, capitalism is indifferent to morality. Capitalism is not a conservative view. Reactionary it's feminist not arc. A political view at all, really. Zeno feminist arc. It's simply a tool which sways towards the highest bidder. If you live in a culture that is deeply sickened, the products that are both created and sold will sicken with it. They won't save it. They won't pull you out of your moral darkness. Capitalism just amplifies what we as humans desire in our hearts, which is why it has done very wonderful things, worthy of praise. But if you are a nation that has lost morality, if you are a nation that has lost God, capitalism just becomes the devil's playground. Go ahead. She's partly right, but I don't like how she's saying it. Fund your alcoholism. I don't know, spend all night feeding your porn addiction and buying your way past a girl's modesty. Pay for followers to feed your narcissism, why don't you? And Go ahead, consume the cheapest product provided by men and women only held to their desks by the factory suicide nets, preventing them from jumping to their own death. I'm sorry, but there is a reason that even the most stringent conservatives like Sir Roger Scruton often describe themselves as reluctant capitalists. Because modern capitalism is a deeply sick system, and progressives are not wrong to call that out. If you can't acknowledge where your opponents are correct, you cannot argue with them on where they are wrong. You can't even begin to explain to them that this is crony capitalism. You can't even begin to argue that it's a user issue and application rather than the system itself without acknowledging that there is an issue in the first place. And as I mentioned at the start of this video, some of you may be itching to call me a socialist for publishing this, but consider that you're watching this video on YouTube. Literally any minute, with no warning, YouTube could alter its terms of service to include a provision that lets them ban this video, and then do it. How does this make them right. any better than countries who censor political dissidents? YouTube gets 8.6 billion monthly visits worldwide, literally more engagement than there are people on planet Earth. Their daily views are in the billions, and YouTube <laughs> can cut you off from that audience anytime it likes, for any reason, with no warning or explanation. And because of the power of its lobbying, there is currently no chance I, got, I gotta say, a lot of this is just right. <laughs> this like, yeah, yeah, YouTube has like the powers of a state. Like these platforms have state-like powers and are literally becoming the state. Like none of this is wrong. 
how many this is all these are all people for us you know what i mean like this is um yeah these should be uh fertile recruiting grounds 60k people how many of those are sympathetic uh Wow, it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting to hear this material on her. Um, I I also feel like we have to touch on though that part of this is a a bit of controversy baiting, right? Because she knows that among her following is a bunch of just uh, you know, neocon chuds essentially, like just dumb Republican no matter what type people. So she can kind of pick up traffic from left, right, uh, reactionary, progressive, this because of its topic will probably get probably get served to a few of the like the Vosh type YouTube people. Um, so don't don't just fall for her, you know, acting or, or whatever she's saying here. I think she knows that she is writing a few different recommendation algorithms. And if you complain about that massive, unaccountable, super governmental power. Do you think she's converting any leftists with trad leanings? I just don't think those people exist, basically. I, th I feel like that is, um, it's a piece of internet um, fiction that is supposed to approximate uh, an apolitical person who is sympathetic to Trump, but might have had Bernie as a close second. Um, but I just, I don't think those people actually spend a lot of time on the internet. Over worldwide speech. You get accused of supporting literal centralized planning of all resources in society by some Republicans. Based? As if there is no middle ground oh, between, damn. hey, I think corporations have gone a bit far in submitting yourself to Big Brother. Which is why I say this to any in my audience currently itching to call me a socialist. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Now, do I have a solution for this? Great question. She's a type of a socialist. No. I, I got nothing. Sorry, guys. What's the right... But to be fair... Prefix. This is probably why we've let things get so whack. Because all of our solutions to these is problems of capitalism throughout history have created much bigger problems for us than the initial one we were is trying to solve. Including the death and torment of millions. So, I guess I can see why National. people are a bit hesitant to That's brainstorm on this one. But I would rather honestly speak about the flaws in capitalism with my head held high than pretend it's perfect by burying my head in the sand, I guess. And we can't really ignore these problems forever, as the more we pretend they don't exist, the more people will turn to radical solutions rather than reasonable healing. But yeah, I just wanted to start a reasonable conversation there, I got that off my chest, comrades. What? <laughs> and for those who can't really ignore these problems forever, as the more we pretend they don't exist, the more people will turn to radical solutions rather than reasonable healing. But yeah. I just wanted to start a conversation there, and I'm divide. glad I got oh, it's probably, chest, comrades. She's just baiting. <laughs> and for those of you uh, who views. really disagreed with me and stuck around to the end of this video, really respect that and appreciate that. And to those of you who enjoyed all this video and agree with me, please consider liking and sharing it and checking out my subscribe star in the link below. Anyways, thank you again for uh, watching this video, and I will see you all next time. What do these politics uh, take shape as? Like, who do, has anybody seen her post about, like, who does she like now? Is she a DeSantis person? Is she... Who does she actually? Okay, sorry, I got to stay on topic. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit buzzed at this point. Okay, let's let's move on here. I think. Uh, there's a problem with a lot of political movements where the rhetoric that you get from the books and the things you get from the lectures are very different from the culture inside the movements. And it's very different from the culture that you see online. And those things um, represent some type of an internal contradiction that is trying to be worked out through the movement. You see an endless amount of cherry picking and disingenuous uh, pictures of, of the world. Um, that really, I think, at the end of the day, cater to people who are not looking for 
practical political solutions to the problem, but are in need of a personal identity. And that's why they're willing to overlook it because they need the worldview more than they need the solutions. A political movement has become a type of cultural identity, and the scalability of that movement represents a dilution of your cultural identity. It was what set you apart from most people. And if the point of it was to create a scalable new society that was better than the one we currently have, um, that is in direct opposition to you and your small group of friends feeling special and having a club to go to on the weekends or something. This is part of the collapse of the political sphere is that there's a pressure on you as a cultural producer to use your platform towards some political end. And this is fundamentally offloading where the critical action has to take place because there's no amount of consciousness raising, there's no meme or catchy video enough to cultivate uh, a radical political consciousness. You, ha you actually do have to move who owns the stuff? Where is capital located? And um, the the idea that we're going to get to some type of a cultural rupture, this is what this is what you call the myth of the spark, right? That there's going to be some transformative experience, some encounter with a piece of culture, uh, a bit of writing, a short story, um, a, a song, a meme, whatever it happens to be. And then this is going to mobilize the masses into some type of spontaneous revolution. That's just fundamentally not how it works. Um, so I'm empathetic. Uh, as someone who works in the art world, there's a similar pressure. And it's, I mean, it's incredibly effective for the billionaire patrons of the art world to launder their criminal accumulation of wealth by putting very progressive, uh, very radical work in the art gallery, right? And these things are symbiotically bound together because one espouses a radical politics that would be the seed of change and the other reinforces the status quo. But these two things seem to be coming untethered now because the um, conventional axes of political coordination or political polls in the U.S. are uh, are flipping. The rise of Trumpian politics and American nationalism is historically significant in the neoliberal period. The rise of woke capital is historically significant. Usually the way that capital would reinforce its domination on culture is by having uh, the kind of Buckley type of cultural politics that we should be, you know, free market evangelists, but we should also have strong family values. And those things are totally broken apart because of things like NAFTA, because of things like I'm really going off now. Uh, <laughs> but the, the issue, the issue is this is the hazard that if we allow for politics to exist only in this sphere of culture that is totally made up and ineffective, the right, the American right is going to flank the quote, quote, democratic left the Democratic, corporate Democratic Party, by making more significant interventions onto the economy than the progressives will. That is the danger. That's the cliff that we're running up against, that in an era of transnational global capitalism, that the nation state could be more effective at safeguarding the material interests of its citizens more than labor organization is such a terrifying fucking dystopia. Nobody wants to live in it. And unless the Democrats get their act in order, that's happening. It's already fucking happening. And this stuff is so obvious to me because I see these young men going through it every single day. I watch them move from being libertarians into being fucking parts of hate groups, into being part of the far right. And it's just so easy that there could be off ramps to speak to that, the squeeze that they feel when they see their families, their everyone they know is downwardly mobile. That can be rectified. It can only be rectified by the left. But because there is not a sufficiently robust left, 
it's not happening. And we're on like the, the precipice of really dystopian. Okay. So we just do fortress America and the rest of the world, uh, falls into climate catastrophe and supply chains break down. And, um, okay. We have a few like municipalities where you basically have like racist conservatism and that's the best that people can hope for. I totally reject that. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's, I, I don't want to totally throw out the sphere of culture as a space for meaningful political intervention. One of the people who is a, a major influence in my life, in my political understanding, and my analysis of network culture, they're a few years older than me. So they didn't really grow up in the internet in the same way. He got a Rage Against the Machine CD when he was a teenager, and he opened up the jacket for the CD. And among the books listed was Noam Chomsky's Manufacturing Consent. And that radicalized him as a young man. And without listening to those dope ass songs and like seeing that uh, those list of books, he would have never encountered any of this stuff. I think going back to something we had mentioned earlier, there's a tremendous amount of pressure on cultural producers to like, you have to be politically involved in this way and that way. And unfortunately, if those people don't have a really rigorous engagement in politics, they end up being basically a patsy. They end up holding the bag for all of these really stupid ideas that just further entrench the problem they're trying to solve, right? Okay, so the the problem is mass incarceration. And that means what we're going to do is create a, a bunch of charter schools and further polarize the wealth in these communities. And uh, I feel like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of bad band-aid solutions thrown out that further entrench the problem. And it's going to be very tempting for people to, uh, in the short term, cash in on good optics that actually don't help the larger cause. There's a serious period of political education and also just a general problem in left-wing politics of consolidating behind a program. And yeah, the infighting, but also a reluctance among people who traditionally or conventionally make up the activist class and um, their desire to hold on to a political identity that is fundamentally not scalable. And the reason they like it is because it's not scalable. Like I'm a cultural producer, right? I'm an artist. I make work. I, I run a discord community. I do podcasts. That's the culture I like to engage in. I just need the stuff. I just need healthcare. I just need like the regular benefits of social democracy. I'm not in need of like a cultural identity or some type of like a, like I have that. I have that with all the art. I have my hobbies and whatever. So I just need the stuff. And to do the stuff, I need actual politics, not culture. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't need that. Like I just need, I just need less rent and I need to see the dentist. <laughs> That's it. We're in a period where basically everyone in America is downwardly mobile, except for a few incredibly wealthy people at the top. And because people are unable to access the benefits of the mainstream, they're moving to the political fringes. Some of them are moving left, some of them are moving right. So what has created a Rube Goldberg machine of problems of political messaging is that in some ways, the correct analysis that you can't reach left-wing solidarity until you abolish patriarchy, until you abolish white supremacy, um, there are kernels of that that are correct. But using that as a bludgeon to punish otherwise legitimate expressions of uh, economic precarity has become a very effective cudgel on behalf of elites, which has the unintended consequence of making some of these right-wing conspiracies look like they're true. When you go to someone's place of work and you discipline them 
on making a microaggression that if you didn't have $200,000 worth of university education, you wouldn't have known was offensive. And a few years ago, wasn't offensive. So um, seeing how emboldened and how powerful the elites are now, what is the necessary political prerequisite to any movement that's going to involve wealth redistribution or a more just, equitable world is going to be a level of populism that is so large, it's almost incomprehensible. It's going to require so many people that um, it will simply not be possible to have a homogenous culture throughout this entire group, meaning that there are going to be people among our class-based coalition that are socially conservative in ways that you and I don't agree with. In, in ways that you and I are um, uh, disapprove of even. But they are going to be the absolutely necessary overlap of the electoral coalition, unless we're entertaining some type of a fantasy of spontaneous revolution, which is just not going to happen at this specific historical stage in the development of capitalism and everything else, right? This has to be an electoral solution, and it's got to be large enough to bring in people who don't agree with our cultural politics. That being said, we're not going to give ground or cater to, uh, you don't want to just drape yourself in the flag and pretend to be a reactionary to like sucker people in to vote alongside you. That's not what I'm advocating. But we do need the hard work, the difficult uh, process of prioritizing an agenda. And that agenda means that, I mean, and this is where it comes to analysis, is that if you believe that the the disparities and the the divisions of gender and race that are expressed as these uh, artifacts of, of culture are material in their origin, then you would correct them by addressing the base of society, which would be the redistribution of scarce resources, which capital very effectively plays off in these affinity groups. Yeah, yeah, you can play your workforce against each other, each other which has been, you would split labor unions along racialized lines. Uh, and that has been endlessly effective and is, and is only deepened. So really, I mean, the, the problem here is, again, um, one of historical scale that is amplified by the social media landscape, that in this attention economy, every day is a new story, and then there's a new meme, and there's something else that's trending. But the arc that we're talking about is 40 years at the minimum. It's the Reagan revolution to now. So, um, okay, to, to, to wrap up this whole political project, we're not we're not giving, we're not seeding the ground on any of these important issues, right? I completely believe that at the end of history, we will have a total abolition of gender, of race, of, of everything. There will be um, complete and total autonomy and individual freedom and, and all of this. But to get to the end of history, to progress through from feudalism to capitalism to socialism and hopefully eventually communism, uh, it does require having a, a plan that you can move incrementally towards. And that is, um, that involves rectifying a lot of disparate groups that are actively fighting against each other at the moment.